Good morning. Let me belatedly welcome you to this service in Alumni Memorial Chapel of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And whether you are here with us in the chapel or are joining us by television, we want you to know how thankful we are for your presence in worship. This is the final Tuesday chapel of the semester. Time, like an ever-rolling stream, bears all its sons away. You remember the verse of the hymn? It bears semesters away as well. And there is one that is uh, just now about to be born away. This has been a remarkable year, and as the spring semester of 2001 draws to a close, it is remarkable to reflect upon what God has done in our midst just in these last several months. I, I look back at this entire academic year with great gratitude. You never know what you're going to uh, discover in worship. And uh, you never know what you're going to find when you walk into the chapel. We are sitting out here a bit closer to you than normal. And uh, that because of the orchestra concert. And uh, it's a bit more crowded up here than normal. I got to hear the uh, orchestra this morning. It's a marvelous thing. And uh, normally they're out in front where I can't very well hear them. However, I, things got a little dangerous up here, which explains why I moved one seat over. I was afraid that Dr. Bolton, was gonna, if he got just even a little bit more excited behind me, was likely to take someone out from the bench. And uh, <laughs> so I moved over. It's great to have the boy singers in chapel this morning. And thank you, as well as the choir leading us together. And this is a great day. And it is so for many reasons, but one of them is that we have as our guest in the pulpit this morning one of the great heroes of our convention. And I firmly believe that. We've looked forward to this for a long time. Brother Richard Oldham is pastor of the Glendale Baptist Church in Bowling Green, Kentucky. And uh, pretty soon we're going to find out if he's going to last there because he's just been pastor there for 44 years. It is a remarkable ministry. He went there in 1957 as pastor of that church. He is a native of Louisville, born in 1930 here in this city. He grew up and he came to know the Lord through the ministry of the Walnut Street Baptist Church under the preaching of F.F. F. Gibson, who was one of the very famous pastors of the Walnut Street Baptist Church. Now, something that is remarkable also to note is that as a young boy, he customarily sat with Dr. and Mrs. W.O. Carver in worship. And so there is a, a significant tie to Southern Seminary's history, as well as one of the great historic congregations of this city. Brother Richard Oldham graduated from Union University and then graduated from Southern Seminary in 1955. He has served churches all over the country and including service in Tennessee and Kentucky and in Battle Creek, Flint, and other cities in Michigan. But it was in 1957 he came to be pastor of the Glendale Baptist Church. I've had the honor of preaching to that congregation. I want to tell you that's a congregation that expects one thing above all other things, and that's the preaching of the Word. And that is how that congregation has been built. In the last 44 years, there have been over 4,000 baptisms through that church. But there's something very significant even beyond that that really moves me, and that is over 200 young persons have committed themselves to ministry through that church. I can't go anywhere in the Southern Baptist Convention without finding some pastor whose life has been personally touched by Brother Richard Oldham. And uh, there are those who are in our student body now, those who have passed through and are now in places of service, 
And I firmly believe if the Lord tarries, there are going to be many more from that ministry that will come to this institution to prepare for Christian ministry. And there is in this state no man who has encouraged me more than Brother Richard Oldham. It is a high honor for us to welcome him to the Southern Seminary pulpit, and we look forward with expectancy to the message the Lord has put upon his heart. Thank you so much, Dr. Moeller. It certainly is an honor to be here today. I never dreamed I'd preach at the seminary in Louisville. I grew up in a different era at the seminary when we talked about first and second and third Isaiah. They couldn't figure out whether it was Deutero or Trito Isaiah. But thank God for what has happened in these last years at this great place. I'm so grateful for Dr. Moeller. I believe God has brought him to this place for such a time as this. And it's an honor to call him a friend, and we've had him with us several times, and I love him. In the audience today are some precious people that have been dear to me. Brother Jim McKinley, president of the Kentucky Baptist Convention, is here today. Jim, stand up. Would you do that? Stand up there. He's a modest man. He spent 34 years in Bangladesh. And he and I are good friends. We may see things a little different on some issues, but we love each other. God bless you, Jim. Good to see you here. He and I went to college together, and I had the privilege of being in his wedding, and we've kept up with him all these years. Also with us today are Lonnie Mattingly and Ed Snyder from Shawnee Baptist Church right over here. Uh, both of them from our church, and we love them and thank God for them. Also with us is Rebecca Walters. Rebecca is presently a student at the seminary and is also a member of our church, and she has an amazing schedule. She teaches our Bible bull and Bible drill, junior and youth work and, and speakers tournament, and then works of two full-time jobs, is busy all day Sunday, and late Sunday night drives to Louisville and gets here and attends classes all day and gets back to Bowling Green about midnight and goes to work the next morning. That's Rebecca Walters. Rebecca, we love you and thank God for you. Robert Torrance is here, pastor of the Green Ridge Baptist Church in Logan County. We appreciate Brother Robert. Also with us this morning is Chris Turpin from our church. Chris is one of our young preachers. He's been preaching at the Barb Baptist Church in Simpson County, and we love him. And David Gifford is over here. David is from our church, and he went to Criswell, came to the seminary. He's pastor at Mackville. And David, I love you. Thank God for you. He has two brothers that are preachers too. Well, I could go on and on. Johnny Deacons is here right up in the balcony. Johnny's been on our staff for 30 years. Thank God for him. And all of those who are here, you're a blessing. Jonathan Oy, I believe, is going to graduate this year. I don't know whether he's in the assembly today, but he's the son of Tack and Lana Oy, who are from our church also. They're serving as missionaries in Japan. Now, turn your Bible to Isaiah chapter 40, please. Isaiah 40. I understand there's a red light that comes on when I'm supposed to quit, and I'll try to obey that, 
because there are a lot of other things going on today. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, for the thousands of men and women who have gone from this place to serve the Lord in strategic places around the world. And at this very moment, the sun never sets on the influence of this great seminary. Thank you for Dr. Moeller and those who serve with him and for all the beautiful music we've experienced. And now, Father, stir our hearts with the Word of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It was a dark day in Judah. Isaiah had preached all of his life. He had preached under the terrible threat of the Assyrian banner. And finally in 722 BC, Assyria overwhelmed northern Israel and led the ten northern tribes into captivity. Isaiah had preached against sin. And preachers, that what, that's what God wants us to do. Take stands against sin. Name them. Isaiah did that. He named the sin of spiritual adultery, idolatry, and all those other things. Not only did he preach about the sins of Assyria, but he turned his spiritual targets towards southern Judah. It would seem that Judah would learn from northern Israel the tragedy of going away from God, but she didn't learn. And she kept on in her sins. And Isaiah warned them of the Babylonian hordes that would come across the desert and surround the city of Jerusalem and take it, and they would go into Babylonian captivity. God allowed Isaiah to look across the years, perhaps to a place beyond his own time when Judah would be in captivity in the terrible land of Babylon. They would sing, they would say, sing the songs of Zion, and the Jews would say, how can we sing the songs of Zion in a foreign land? They hung their harps on willow trees and wept. They were defeated and discouraged and sick. And God said, Isaiah, you preach to them. And in spiritual vision, Isaiah preached to that great people in Babylonian captivity. Now listen, you and I face the same type of thing today. We have people that are despairing, discouraged, defeated. They may not even know it. Sometimes we think of the unsaved and the saved like that man that got overwhelmed by the thugs on the road to Jericho. And he was over in a ditch unconscious, didn't even know how much need he had. And a priest came along, he was busy. Another man came along, he was busy. But a Samaritan saw his plight and stopped and woke him up and put him on his own beast and took him to the inn and helped him get well. You and I need to be like those Samaritans. We find people that are dead in trespasses and sins. We find Christians that are asleep. They're under the anesthetic of worldliness and flesh and the devil. And you and I need to wake them up and help them come to grips with where they are and what they're doing. We're living in a strange age. This is an age of sin all around us. 
Now Isaiah, God said, Isaiah, you go preach to them. And here's what you're to preach in Isaiah 40. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem. Cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she hath received at the Lord's hand double for all her sin. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked shall be made straight and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. And the voice said, cry. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. All the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth. The flower fadeth. Because the spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth. The flower fadeth but the word of our God shall stand forever. And in verse 28, hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint and to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. The young men shall utterly fall, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Isaiah, here's what you're to preach. You preach the word. Preach about the war. Preach a warning. And preach the weight. Number one, preach the word. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. The infallible, authoritative, inerrant Word of God is what people need today. And when we give them the Word, there is conviction, there's contrition, there's conversion, and there's comfort in the Word of God. Comfort ye my people. Dr. R.G. Lee, the great preacher who preached at Bellevue many years and served our Southern Baptist Convention as president a number of times, he spoke in this chapel years ago at the funeral of Dr. Ellis Fuller. He said shortly before he died, and we had the privilege of being close friends, he said, if I had it to do over again, I would try to be a greater comforter to my people. Comfort ye my people. They're discouraged. They're defeated. They need spizzerinctum. They need to be raised from their level of lowness up to where God can use them. You think of the wonderful Word of God, it's power. In Romans 1.16, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Isaiah said, Judah, he's coming. He's coming. He's coming. He was wounded for our transgressions bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we were healed. All we like sheep had gone astray. We had turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord had to lay on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. That's the message. That's the message he preached. Comfort my people. You've been in a dark time. You've been overrun by the Babylonians. Your sins have caught up with you. But there's one coming who will lift you from that awful burden of sin. And the same thing is true today. If you and I will give the word, 
people will have a chance to hear and to believe and to receive and to be changed and to go out and march to Zion like the choir sang a little while ago. Come we that love the Lord and let our joys be known. Join in a song with sweet accord and thus surround the throne. The power of the preached word is a power of comfort. Comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem. Cry unto her, her warfare is accomplished. Her iniquity is pardoned. And then he said, don't only preach the word, but preach about the war. Now folks, we're in a war. We're not in just a little battle with sin, not a little skirmish, it's a war. It's a war to the finish. And just as Roosevelt told Germany and Japan, there must be unconditional surrender. You and I have the terms of unconditional surrender to the King of Kings, the Lord of, Glory, Lord of Glory, Christ Jesus. And when we preach that word, and when we remember that we're in a battle against sin, against all its forces, listen, we're in a battle against complacent Christianity today. In Titus chapter two, Paul said, Titus, you go down there and tell them the word, the, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us two things, that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. Talking to Christians. Denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So you go give them the word. Tell them about it and remind them, don't live low lives. Don't live so close to the world that the world can't hardly tell whether you're Christian or not Christian. You live in a time when the world is so influenced by church, the church so influenced by the world. The world is a little churchy and the church is very worldly and many people can't tell which is which. You and I need to declare a war on sin. And that's what God said through Isaiah. He said, you didn't do that. Oh, people of God, you didn't do that. You went into spiritual adultery. You went into idolatry. You went into profaning the name of the Lord God. And no wonder you've gone into captivity, but I have good news for you. We're on the winning side. The war was won at Calvary. And Isaiah looked down the corridor of the years to Calvary. And he said he was wounded for our transgressions. Thank God. You and I have a winning message. Win them to him. Jesus is the King and the Lord. Well, not only are we to preach the word and warn about the war, but we're to warn people about their destiny. The voice said, cry. He said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. All the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth. But the word of our God shall stand forever. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a difficult time in which we live. Doesn't take any learned theologian to know that. Doesn't even take headlines in the newspaper to know that. We're all aware of it. This scripture reminds us that we're not going to be here forever. 
There's some very pretty ladies in this auditorium this morning and very handsome men, but I want to tell you, your beauty is going to fade. It's not permanent. I saw a man die the other day. I've seen many men die, stood by them and held their hands. Death isn't beautiful. The Bible calls it an enemy. People are dying, and we need to warn them of what is going to occur in the future. You see, you and I have an influence that can live on to bless or curse people. One of the reasons the judgment of the seat of Christ does not take place the moment you die, it takes place at the rapture, as I understand the scripture. But one of the reasons is because all the influence of your life isn't finished yet. You're making investments. Your life may be cut off early, but the investments will go on and on and on. What kind of investments? Either good or bad. The voice said, cry. All flesh are like the grass. The grass withereth and the flower fadeth because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. We don't have forever. We just have a little while to do the will of God. Years ago, I was witnessing to a man named Will Stubblefield. He was an old man, 80 years old. He'd had a stroke. He was in the hospital. I'd given him the scripture over and over again. He just looked at the ceiling. He couldn't move his eyes, couldn't move, couldn't say anything. Just looked at the ceiling. I prayed for him. I read him from Luke 16 about the man that went to hell. I read him about John 14, the man that went to heaven. Nothing moved him. One night I went home and before I went to bed, I got on my knees and I said, Lord, show me a little bit more about hell. I have an awful burden for Will. I went to sleep. In the middle of the night, the telephone rang. I answered the phone. It was a nurse at the hospital. He said, Will Stubblefield is dead. They want you to come to the funeral home. I went over to the funeral home. The undertaker stood there with me. He was in the casket, and I saw that man that I'd witnessed to and prayed for. And then the undertaker went out, and when he went out, I saw that man begin to grimace in pain. His arms moved all around, terrible torture on his face, and awful pain. And I called the undertaker. I said, come, something is wrong. He came back and he said, what's wrong, preacher? I said, I thought death removed all that pain. Oh, he said, preacher, there's some pain that death doesn't remove. The eternal separation from God in a place called hell. I went up to the hospital, three o'clock in the morning, walked down the hall. I said to the nurse, I said, is Will Stubblefield still alive? Yes, he's there. You see, that was a dream. I woke up. And I went in and stood by his bed, his eyes fixed on the ceiling. I took his hand and I said, Will, I've just had a message from God that you're going to hell unless you give your heart to Christ. It's the 11th hour. You can be saved now. I don't know how much you understand what I'm saying, but if you understand it all, turn your heart toward God. I gave him the sinner's prayer and what to do to be saved. And I said, now, Will, if you heard me and you prayed that prayer in your heart, ask God for the strength to let me know. I watched. There came a tear in his eyes. 
and his eyes moved toward mine. He gripped my hand and he died. At the very last moment, people are without God. Warn them, tell them, urge them, bring them, do whatever you can to get them in touch with Jesus. In 1998 and 99, D.L. Moody held a meeting at Warren Memorial Presbyterian Church down at 4th and Broadway. It isn't there any longer. The students from the seminary here went over to hear him. Mr. Moody encouraged all the students to make it their life plan to speak to somebody about Jesus every day. Finley Gibson was there, the man who later became my pastor. He was in the seminary at that time. He heard that message. He went out of that church determined to make that his life plan. He went down to Market Street, to the city hall, sat down on the steps and led a man to Jesus he had never met before. He made it his plan every day to speak to somebody about Jesus. One day, that preacher came to my house and he sat down with me and showed me from the Bible how to be saved. A commitment that was made in 1899 was profitable for me, profitable for me. That was the beginning of my new life in Christ. Listen, young people, older people, all of us together, go out and tell people. Go out and warn them. The voice said, cry. What shall I cry? All flesh is grass. The goodliness of service is the flower of the field. The grass withereth. The flower fadeth because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. We're not here permanently. There are people in your church area. Your people, there are people you deal with at your work. There are people you deal with maybe right on campus, some family members, moms or dads or ch children that need Jesus, let's tell them. Then last of all, hast thou not heard, hast thou not known that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth fainteth not, neither is weary. There's no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint and to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the message of the wait. What did you say, preacher? The wait, W-A-I-T. They that wait upon the Lord. There are two ways to wait on the Lord. Number one is to serve Him. Everyone in this room has yielded his life to serve Jesus. And no telling how you're going to serve Him. Some of you will, will die on some foreign land some of you will live a long life. Some will live a short life. But all of us will be serving the Lord, waiting upon Him like a waitress in a restaurant waits on us. And that's what we ought to do. But I want to tell you the harder part of that is patience. To wait on the Lord until He is able and ready and willing to show us His plan. When I yielded my life to the will of God, I really didn't know all that God wanted me to do. I just said, here am I, Lord. I give my life to you. I stood in the line that night, and a young preacher named Ott Allen, I've lost track of him. I don't know where he is, but Ott Allen came through the line and said, would you preach for me at Frankfurt next week? Well, I said, Ott, I couldn't do that. I've never done that in my life. He went on, and God said, Richard, what'd you just tell me? Do you see you do anything? I got out of that line, went out to the front of the church, chased the guy down. I said, Ott, 
did you really mean what you said? He said, yes. He said, I'll be there. Pray for me. I'm scared to death. Your yieldedness to the will of God is to do what God says, but to wait until he begins to show us what his will is. Jim McKinley went to Bangladesh. I talked to him after the first four years there. He wasn't discouraged because he knew that's where God wanted him, but the going was tough and it was hard to win Muslims to Jesus. He went back 34 years later, there are churches all over that area because he waited on the Lord. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings as eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. God wants to use us if we're willing. Just this closing moment, when I first went to Glendale, I felt, that was 44 years ago, I felt like God wanted to do something with that little church. I prayed about it, gave myself to Him. We didn't have any young people at all. And God put young people in my heart. I said, Lord, this is strange. We don't have any young people. The few we have, the best thing they could do is go out to Beach Bend Park to, to uh, swimming parties and ride the, ride the rides and so on. That was about all they did. I began to pray. We were going to have Bible school, and I went out personally and knocked on doors to try to find some kids. Found a young man named Pat Hayes and his brother who were lost. They came to Bible school and got saved, and they began to grow that summer in the Lord. And God gave me a little flicker of hope. Later, they went away. But there was a young man that was influenced by that named Ronnie. Ronnie was a football star at Bowling Green High. I used to watch him escort the football queen across the court. I'd go to the ball games and watch him play ball. And I talked to him about Jesus. I used to go by his house and leave notes. I'd get him out of pool halls, take beer cans out of his hand. You say, how'd you do that? Well, God gave me the liberty to do it because God had his hand on that boy. I knew it, but I had to wait. One spring, we, I started an instrumental ensemble just to get those guys in. And, and one spring, we were invited to Williamsburg to the training convention to play. We went down there. We stayed at Kelly Hall at Clear Creek. And in the middle of the night, two or three o'clock in the morning, there was a knock on my door. It was Ronnie. He had tears in his eyes. He said, I've been wrestling with this for two hours. He said, God's called me to preach. Well, we got down and prayed and spent much of the rest of the night just studying the Word and rejoicing. Next night at, at the convention, they played and the convention preacher didn't come and Chester Badgett got up to preach. He preached about halfway through his message. Ronnie couldn't stand any longer. He got up from where the instruments was, were and he got up and ran her up and put his arm around the preacher and said, God's called me to preach. Dr. Badgett stopped the service. And we were in that service till 10 or 11 o'clock that night with people yielding their lives to God. He's over in Kansas City preaching today. I had to wait on the Lord. Oh, listen, God has a wonderful plan for your life and for my life if we'll just wait on him and say, Lord, I don't see the answer right now, but I'm gonna wait and see 
Just like God told Habakkuk, get up on the tower and wait. You won't understand what I'm going to tell you, but just wait and watch. That's what God wants us to do. The great world's heart is aching, aching fiercely in the night. And God alone can heal it, and God alone give light. And the men to bear the message and to speak the living word are you and I, my brother, and the millions that have heard. Let's go do it. Amen.